Amen. Remain standing just for a moment now and turn your attention back to the Word of our God. Matthew chapter 12. Our sermon text for this morning is in verses 1 through 8. I think it's appropriate, though, for us to pick up in chapter 11, verse 28. So we'll read chapter 11, verse 28, through chapter 12, verse 8. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." My yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the disciples saw it, they said to Him, Look, Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Amen. Please be seated. I know that you all are probably very up on your pop culture, so I thought we would start the sermon this morning with a quiz. Tell me if you can tell me where um, these slogans come from. Eat more chicken. This is the part of the sermon where it's okay to be not Presbyterian. Good. Here's a hard one. The Breakfast of Champions. All right, somebody remembered. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's good. We own Sunday. There you go. The NFL. Now, they haven't popularized that particular slogan in a few years, but in about 2015 and 2016, I went back to try to find one. But the NFL ran ads that said and proclaimed, we own Sundays. And you know what? They're right. Economically, they're right. And one thing I would ask you to consider as we begin is this. I I know that as faithful observers of popular culture, one of the things that you've probably noticed in the last 10 years to 15 years as the rapid disintegration of the culture around us. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the rapid disintegration of the family? Have you noticed the rapid disintegration of the freedoms in in our country? And maybe you noticed that a gentleman gave a speech just a few nights ago uh, decrying tyranny all the while proclaiming tyranny. 
I wondered if you've noticed the not only the deterioration of the family, but the deterioration of an individual. He has now become somebody who doesn't know what defines his very nature. I wonder if you've also noticed another change. If you went on to the, the Wayback Machine, which is an internet search engine, you can go back and look at websites, and they take archived pictures of them from decades into the past. It's an interesting search tool. If you went back 10 years ago and you looked at local web pages, one of the things that you would find if we did our, if we went back in the Wayback Machine together and we popped up in 2012, 2013 in Macomb, Mississippi, it would be interesting because New Covenant Presbyterian Church wouldn't be one of the only churches in town that has an evening worship service. There would actually be multiple churches in town that host evening worship services. And I think that it should at least grab your attention that in these last ten years, two things have happened simultaneously. We have seen the degradation of our society and a rise in majority of Christians who say we need less corporate worship, not more. Simultaneously, a majority of Christians are saying church membership is meaningless to us. Yes, I believe that our cultural deterioration is directly tied to the impropriety of modern Christians. As the church goes, so goes the culture. It is not about prayer being removed from the schools or the Bible. It is about what we are doing in our homes and how we are orienting our lives and affecting the culture thereby. In large part, this is because we fail to orient our lives to God's holy day. And I know that's very unpopular. But what we find in this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 12 is that Jesus exercises His Lordship by demonstrating the Sabbath significance and the Pharisees' blindness. On the heels, notice that on the heels of Jesus' promise of rest, where does Matthew turn his attention? To the Sabbath day. The very next thing that we find after Jesus has promised rest for the souls of His people, after He's issued this grand invitation that we all memorize and we think about on a daily basis, Jesus says to me, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, that immediately after that, Matthew takes your face in his hands and says, look at the Sabbath. And what we find again as we go through Matthew 12 1 through 8, and then next week, 9 through 14. Um, the, the issue of spiritual knowledge and understanding are in the foreground for us. Jesus, Jesus is very clearly going to show that, that the Pharisees are ignorant, blind guides. But it shouldn't be lost upon you that, that He does so bringing them to the apex of a mountain called the Sabbath day and showing them that they don't even understand the Sabbath which stands as a pinnacle in the life of God's people. 
He's taking them, bringing them to a point where they ought to have the utmost clarity and showing that they have none because they don't understand God's Sabbath. The Sabbath then serves as a grand illustration of the hardness of the Pharisaical heart. And what we find in, in this passage that on the first half this morning, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Jesus will demonstrate how even under the administration of the Old Covenant, works of necessity were permitted by the law on the Sabbath day. And in the second part that we will look at last week, how the Lord created the Sabbath day, not as a do-nothing, but as a do-something. And that do-something is the church in acts of compassion for the people around it. Let's notice, first of all, in verses 1 to 2, the controversy over the Sabbath. What's happening here? Well, Jesus is leading his disciples. They're following him wherever he goes. They are being obedient men. And evidently, they hadn't stopped for breakfast or lunch. And so as they are passing through a grain field, what are they doing? (coughs) Well, the disciples are breaking off the heads of grain taking them in their hands and rolling them around to separate the fruit from the husk, and they're eating it to to fill their bellies. And, And notice what Matthew says. He brings something out for you. His disciples were hungry. So this is not just a pastime. They are hungry. They are meeting a need. And so Matthew brings this to our attention, and he uses it so that we will remember not just the Pharisee's heart, but the sacredness of this day. What is the response? In verse 2, the the Pharisees saw it. They said to Christ, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And this becomes the whole controversy. What is lawful for us to do on the Sabbath? And so it's important for us to take just a moment to remember exactly what the Sabbath is. Remember that God established the Sabbath before Adam and Eve ever ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before sin entered into the world, God appointed a day of rest and sacredness for Adam and Eve. It was one day out of seven. And I appreciate how uh, one Jewish writer, Abraham Heschel, describes it. He calls the Sabbath a palace in time. You see, Adam and Eve, they had Eden, and it was a sacred space that they could enter into and go out of it. But what happened on one day out of seven is God said, I'm not only going to give you sacred space, I'm going to give you sacred time. And so 24 hours out of their entire week became a sacred time. So that whether they were in Eden or in the wilderness, wherever they were was a sacred time devoted for the Lord. And what was the purpose of that in Adam's life, do you think? Do you think that it was given to him so that he would remember what a harsh taskmaster God is to require him to stop his work on one day out of six. The sacred day oriented Adam's life. 
every week when this day came, he had to prepare himself for its coming. He had to think about the fact that the Sabbath day was coming and he had to devote himself to the Lord or rather from Adam's perspective being made in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. Adam anticipated the coming of the Sabbath. It was for him the high point of his week. Reminding him this, Adam, you are not made for the earth. You are made for Jehovah. The Sabbath balanced the command to work. Yes, Adam, in all of his work, was obeying the Lord. God commanded him to protect and keep the garden. And it reminds us, it reminds you and me of this very precious thing. God has not made you for work. He has made you for Himself. He has made you for Himself. You do not, He brought you forth from the earth. He formed your body from the soil, but you don't belong to the soil. You belong to Him. And your purpose, therefore, is worship, not commerce. It reminded Adam that all of his time, all of his time belonged to God. Do you recognize that about your own life? That you don't own a single second. Every second that you have, every moment of your life is one that is given to you by God. It is a trust. And the Sabbath reminds you that as you are orienting yourself to this day out of seven that God has appointed for you, you remember that your time, all of it belongs to Him. But He specially claims 24 hours. That's pre-fall. After the fall, consider this, in mercy, God continued to offer a day of rest to His people. Now, if it were you or me, we might be inclined, because our people's hearts are so hard against us, we might be inclined to say, you know what? Because of who you are in your sin, here's what I'm going to do. I'm removing the Sabbath. I gave it to my son Adam as a gift to remind him that I want him to rest in communion with me. But because you are sinful, I'm taking it away. Now, you will work my land seven days a week. But our God is good. And He delights to show mercy to His people. And so the tangible way that he shows his people his mercy is in this way, by inviting you still to enjoy communion with him and one day out of seven. And so it became a sign under the Mosaic administration of the covenant of grace that separated God's people from all others. You remember under the Noahic covenant, what was the sign that God gave? He gave the rainbow. Under the Abrahamic covenant, what did he give? He gave the sign of circumcision. Well, under the Mosaic covenant, he gave another sign. It was 
the Sabbath day. And with every sign, what is the intent? A reminder of God's promise to us. And what it was reminding God's people of is that He is commanding them to orient their lives to Him. And and here's what He said to Israel over and over and over. He's saying, I am bringing you into a land. And it it is a blessed land. You are going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to eat the fruit of crops that you didn't plant. I'm giving you all of this. And here's, going, here's the temptation for you. You are going to start enjoying the bounty of the land and you're going to forget me. And do you know what happens when you forget the Lord? You spoil His gifts too. So God reminds them in places like Isaiah 58, 13, and I'll invite you to turn over there with me now. God is reminding His people that the gifts He gives them are a tangible illustration of His goodness. That as they delight in the gifts He gives, they must remember they are delighting in Him so that in remembering that, they'll never forget that He Himself is our chief delight. He is our pleasure. Everything else is less than Him. And so He tells him in Isaiah 58, verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. In other words, then then you're showing wisdom because you're saying these are lesser things I want the greater thing. I want communion with Christ. That is my reward. Not football. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. You see, the one who has the power to give you everything you desire will do it. In a holy, in a sacred way, He will tune your heart to find its way to the greatest treasure you've ever known. And you'll wonder to yourself, why did I ever waste my time with all of those lesser things? I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this was God's intent for His people. He established the Sabbath before the fall to remind them of His goodness. That they should never exchange reveling in the gifts that He's given them, whether they be talents or goods, that those should never be the source of their pleasure apart from Christ. A life 
rightly oriented, do you see, finds its true delight in fellowship with Christ. The great temptation for us is to treasure His gifts more than Him. And, and listen to me, to begin pursuing those gifts with more vigor and earnestness than we pursue Him. The Sabbath is a hard stop. It is a declaration to you, my child, separate. Separate yourself from all that clings to you from the earth and be joined to me. And we often delight in the work of our hands and we turn it into an idol when we forget that all we have is from the Lord. You think of, you think of the businessman who's always toiling away at his work and he's grinding and he's grinding and he's grinding. He's putting in the 12 and the 15 hour days At the end of the day, he says, look what my hands have done. The Sabbath says, no, my son. Look what I have given you. The Sabbath reminds us that all our joys, listen, all your joys are only joyful when they are subordinate to Him. You know, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, one of the applications of that is that we're asking, we're, we're, I am confessing to the Lord, I don't deserve any of the joys of this life. I, I don't deserve one of them. I deserve for filet mignon to taste like Carolina mud. That's what I deserve. Father, I therefore acknowledge that it is a good thing from you that I enjoy steak, and enjoying steak, I am enjoying a gift from you. The Sabbath reminds us that all of our joys are only joyful when they are subordinate to Him. Some of you probably you suffered, I know a lot of us suffered with COVID over the past, uh, past couple of years, and some of you lost your sense of smell and taste. Some of you had certain good tastes turn to putrid tastes. And you ought to have remembered in that moment the good gifts of the Lord, that they extend to every facet of your life, that therefore He should be your chief delight. Used properly, the Sabbath promotes life and joy. It doesn't take them away. Let's think just for a moment about Pharisaical perversion. When Jesus is dealing with these Pharisees, they've come to him and said, look, your, your, your disciples should not be breaking off the heads of grain, grinding them in their hands and eating them. They're working. They're breaking the Sabbath. And what Jesus begins to reveal is that the Pharisees had perverted the Sabbath. One of the ways that we often confuse this passage is we say, the Pharisees are an accurate representation of the law of Moses. But notice the way that Jesus is going to confront them is saying, have you even read it? The Pharisees, relying on their tradition rather than Scripture, turned the Sabbath into an onerous burden. Do you know that today, if you are an Orthodox Jew 
and you get into an elevator on the Sabbath, you are forbidden to push the button. I suppose you have to wait until someone comes and helps you out because pushing the button is considered kindling a fire. And that is forbidden on the Sabbath. So they turned the Sabbath into something that wasn't a life-giving day, but a life-robbing day. They added on top of God's law all of their traditions, all of their interpretations, refining it down to what you could do, how many steps you could take, and none of this derived from God's law. It was a life-robbing day. And so as we think about this, the first transformation that you and I need is to move from seeing God's law as purely prohibitive and restricting to the means of promoting and sustaining life, beginning with the Sabbath. Have you ever considered, I wonder, if there's any intention in the fact that God's placed the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, as the fourth one? Why? Well, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall, not, you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We often say that the, the, ta- the two tables of the law were divided between the first four commandments, which are love to God, and the final six commandments, which are love to our neighbor. Do not kill, kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not covet. Love to God, love to neighbor. And so what commandment then becomes the hinge between loving God and loving your neighbor? It's the Sabbath. Why? Because when you rest from your labor and you cause your children to rest from their labors, and you cause your servants to rest from their labors. You are directing all of culture to submit themselves, to frame their lives in terms of God's sovereignty and who He is, to find your joy in Him and to rest. Therefore, the fourth commandment takes the two and puts them together. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love God by devoting yourself to Him one day out of seven and love your neighbor by enabling him to do the same. And so the second thing that we see here is in this controversy over the Sabbath that Jesus repudiates the Pharisees. This is in verses 3 to 5 of Matthew chapter 12. Look at it with me there. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Jesus here, he's demonstrating that he is keeping God's law. With two illustrations. The first one, is taken from the prophets in 1 Samuel, and the second one is taken from the law. So he begins with the prophets and the law, insulting the Pharisees by saying, have you not read? And the first thing that he says is that proper observance of God's day 
does not take away providential necessity. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 6, you may remember what happened there. But David was on the run from Saul. Saul was seeking his life. And David had gathered some men to himself, and they were, they were going uh, with him. And they came to a city called Nob. And in the city of Nob, there was the high priest, and the tabernacle was set up there. And there was a priest named Ahithophel. Well, as David and his men came to Nob, they'd been going all night, and they got to the, te- the temple, <coughs> or to the tabernacle, and they were famished. And so David approached Ahithophel, the priest, and said, can we have five loaves of bread? Now, this was special bread, the kind of nice bread maybe that you go out and you buy at Aldi or whatever that you enjoy. They made 12 loaves of bread every week, and it literally was called the bread of the faces. And every week they would bake these 12 loaves of bread, and they would put those 12 loaves of bread on a special table inside the tabernacle. It was representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, after, uh, uh, after the, the bread had served its purpose, on the eighth day, they would take the old bread out, they would put the new bread in, and the priests were to take the old bread and eat it in the outer court of the sanctuary. It was a holy bread. And so what Jesus brings out is, look, Ahithophel gave that bread to David and it was not lawful for him to eat it. Please explain that to me, Pharisees. If you've, if you've read the law, if you've read the prophets, and I assume you have. The point that Jesus is making is that in a moment driven by providential need, God was directing their steps. The priests gave the holy things to these worthy men. David was the Lord's anointed, doing the Lord's work. And Jesus showed that the law permits us to do what strengthens us for the Lord's day. Let me give you just an example of how we might use this today. So, you know that in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it forbids us on the Sabbath day uh, to do our ordinary recreations and work. We are to let those aside. Well, sometimes we'll have men who come before the presbytery and they'll say, I don't agree with that because I believe that I ought to be able to take a walk with my children on the Sabbath and the Westminster Larger Catechism forbids me. No, it doesn't. The law provides this exception that you may do what promotes worship in your life. If taking a walk on an afternoon or throwing a ball with your son helps you to be ready for the Lord's worship, if that helps you or taking a nap, you need physical rest, and that helps you prepare for the Lord's worship, then that's lawful. Works of necessity driven by providential need are lawful. Jesus demonstrates that from the prophets. But the second thing that he demonstrates is the necessity of worship. Go with me now to verse (coughs) 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? How do you explain this? In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam a duty. He was to work and keep the garden. 
the two Hebrew words that God uses with reference to Adam in the garden are only repeated in one place in the Old Testament together with reference to the priests who were to work and keep in the temple. So you see what Jesus is bringing out to these very knowledgeable and understanding Pharisees is he's saying, please explain to me how it is lawful for the Pharisees to work and keep on the Sabbath if according to you they are desecrating it. And so what Jesus demonstrates here is that ministerial work is not forbidden on the Sabbath. Sometimes we get this question, well, if if work is forbidden on the Sabbath, if we're supposed to rest, um, and this means rest for the purpose of worship, then how does a preacher preach? How does a preacher visit? Well, because the priests under the law were permitted to do the work of ministry for the purpose of worship. And so what Jesus demonstrates here is that altogether, the Pharisees failed to understand these provisions of the Old Covenant, and they robbed God's people of rest. Some some imagine that what's happening in this passage is that Jesus is standing up to the law, and He's saying, oh no, guys, that old Sabbath commandment, man, what a yoke that was. What a yoke for God to to invite you to orient your life in such a way that you delight in His worship. What a yoke. And some imagine that what Jesus is doing here, especially by saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, is saying, I'm here to make an amendment. Man, these bad old Pharisees who represent the Ten Commandments, don't listen to those guys. I'm here to let you off the hook. Do what you want. The problem with that idea is that it makes Jesus a liar. When he said in Matthew 5.18, until heaven and earth pass away, that hasn't happened yet, by the way, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. What Jesus is doing in this passage is demonstrating that the Pharisees have perverted the law. But on top of that, understand that he's teaching you something about Israel's context in this moment. They are the blind led by the blind. He demonstrated not by adding anything to the law, but by taking the law and the prophets properly explained and showing how the Sabbath, when we observe it rightly, permits works of necessity that promote worship. It's still a good thing in the lives of God's people. At times, you and I are providentially hindered from fulfilling certain aspects of God's law. Think about a family whose house catches on fire on Saturday night and it burns to the ground. On the Sabbath day, are they required to sleep on the lawn? Can they get food for themselves? Are they permitted on that day to go out and eat or go to the supermarket? We would say yes, because necessity drives it. The Lord's providence drives it. The law permits work associated with organizing and conducting corporate worship. Thirdly and finally, 
Notice with me that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath in verses 6 through 8. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus demonstrates here is the ignorance of the Pharisees, very simply. Imagine with me just for a moment. Just for a moment, how this conversation came across. Imagine if you and I approached a Marine Corps general on the street one day and said, do you not even understand the Pledge of Allegiance? Or a Supreme Court justice one day, and we were arguing with him about a decision he made on a certain case, and you said, have you never read the Constitution how, how might that comment come across, do you think? A little bit condescending? Do you think he might get his back up a little bit? You see what Jesus is doing. Here are the men who are the so-called proclaimers of the law. They are the experts in the law. And Jesus approached them and said, Gentlemen, have you never read what David did? First, let me, let me ask you to turn your attention to 1 Samuel. You, have you read 1 Samuel before, brothers? Have, have you, I wanted, have you heard of the book Exodus? Have you all heard of that? Jesus has no tolerance for their hypocrisy. And we are reminded in this moment of what we just read. Remember, that God is pleased to conceal wisdom from the wise and the learned and reveal it to children. And here we see a pinnacle illustration of his point because the men who were intended to be, who were the self-proclaimed experts in the law, Jesus shows don't know it at all. He goes on, if you knew what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. In other words, you're not judges in Israel. Surely, surely you are not the judges of Israel who cannot even interpret the law of God rightly. Considering this, Matthew Henry comments, it is not enough for us to know the Scriptures, but we must labor to know the meaning of them. Let him that reads understand and Ignorance of the Scriptures is especially shameful in those who take upon them to teach others. Jesus shows their ignorance and what He teaches them from Hosea in this saying is this very simply, that God did not establish the ceremonial law because He delights in sacrifices. Surely, Surely you Pharisees don't think that God established the ceremonial law because He delights in sacrifice. He established it as a tangible display of His mercy to the penitent. The Pharisees converted the ceremonial law into an end itself. They threw out the mercy and kept the blood. But this last statement by Christ is the pinnacle for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying there? What He's saying is if service within the temple 
which was nothing more than a picture of the coming Christ. If service within the temple was permitted under the law, then surely service of the true temple, which is Jesus Christ, is permitted on the Lord's day. And this is what the disciples were doing. They're following their Master. They're following the true temple and serving Him. And in serving Him, their work on the Sabbath is sanctified. Christ, you see, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made through Him and for Him and to Him just as all things. And it is His honor and our good that we seek on His day. Jesus exercises His Lordship by demonstrating the Sabbath's significance and the Pharisees' blindness. And, and, and just, as, just as a believing man orients his finances by giving first to the Lord, he orients his time, do you see? One of your most valuable possessions is your time. You orient your time by designating the Lord's day, listen, as the one immovable day in His week upon which no earthly cares will infringe upon your and your family's devotion to Christ. You do this. Why? Because you see Christ as your ultimate joy. And just as a husband or a wife would never, ever permit anyone to bar the door on their honeymoon night, so also should a Christian not permit any care to infringe upon his communion with Christ on his day. And we do this because we see Christ as our ultimate joy. He sees the Sabbath, the believer sees the Sabbath as the Lord's invitation to remember His ultimate purpose. You don't exist for work. You don't belong to your work. You don't belong to your recreations. They are given to you only so that you may have a tangible depiction of God's love. That's all they are at the end of the day. To exchange the Sabbath for lesser things is to show ultimate ignorance. It is to exchange great joy for a temporal servitude. Seek to cultivate a heart that loves communion with the Lord. That loves communion with Lord's people and worship. Likewise, cultivate a heart that resents anything. To quote uh, Dr. Joey Piper from my seminary, cultivate a heart that resents anything that diverts your attention from proper, profitable observation of the Lord's day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we think about how frequently we call your day a burden, I think immediately to our hearts comes a sense of our own guilt. How could we call such a blissful thing a burden? A day when you intend to 
Remove the yokes of Your people. Remind us morning and evening that we are not in servitude to sin. And that's because of the work that You have done. You remind us, O Lord, that every moment of our day belongs to You. Help us, O Father, to reorient our lives around Your Sabbath day, to call it a delight because You are there in a special way. And to repent of taking lesser joys and seeking to put them on Your throne. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.